interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Good Saturday morning. It's Friendly Fire Saturday. Stu Kearns, your host. Glad to have you along. We're in the thick of baseball season. Hope you get a chance to see the Huskers this weekend. Look for me in Section 103. I, if I'm not there, something really big came up, but I hope to be there. Uh, this week uh, on Friendly Fire, I, I wanted to find somebody and uh, who could speak to uh, LB574, which has been working uh, its way uh, down uh, through the unicameral. And uh, uh, I found someone, a good old friend. Well, I shouldn't say old, should I? Well, I'm older than you, Stu. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh, own it. I'll own it. Well, let's just say a good friend. <laughs> there you go. That's, That's really kind. I, we're yeah. Southeast Knights, right? That's right. That's right. Good. And once a night, always a night. Absolutely. That's right. Um, I, I was trying to understand what's going on. LB574, and I thought, how about, uh, uh, you know, one of the most, uh, one of the ways that makes Karen Bowling unique, and you're going to hear that this morning, is uh, Karen's been... Uh, Working with Nebraska Family Alliance for how many years? Twenty-three years. Twenty-three years. So there's a <laughs> there's a little bit of experience there. Yes. Over the years, but also, uh, and a lot of times people think of lobbyists as always having an angle, or that they're they're just always arm twisting. And if you know anything about Karen, she's just a kind, sweet, smart person, and that's that's the kind of lobbyists we want. We want people who are yes, we're smart. Karen's all of that. She does her homework, which you'll hear today. But also, we want people who are kind and who uh, deal gently with difficult situations. And LB five seven four is a is a thorny one. It's been on the news a lot lately. And I don't know anybody who's better suited to address it in terms of uh, just the uh, personal approach and uh, and history, wisdom, and uh, and just uh, from a fact based uh, point of view. Uh, I really appreciate the work you do, Karen. Well, thank you, and that was a very kind introduction, and I hope I live up to that. But you're, you're absolutely right. Not only I, but Nebraska Family Alliance are committed to treating everybody with dignity and respect, yeah. and it's because we believe everyone has intrinsic value, yeah. right? And we are made to be a Mago Day. Mm. Right. The image barriers of Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's in the public square. Yeah. That's in the Capitol. That's everywhere. Yes. And so I appreciate the invite to have a conversation that can be thoughtful and more than just quick sound bites. But yeah. really, what is at stake with LB 574? Yeah. So well, let's start with a really basic uh, part of it. What is the basic idea behind the legislative bill? Senator Kathleen Kauth introduced this bill. She's the bill sponsor and also the bill prioritizer. And in essence, what it would do, it's to protect kids, to give mm -hmm. them chance to grow why they are minors. In fact, the bill is called Let Them Grow Act. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of that is to prohibit gender transition procedures, including hormones, or hormone blockers, sex hormones, and gender surgeries on kids that are minors. It's simply put a pause button. Give kids time to naturally grow. It's not denying that gender dysphoria is taking place, but it's saying we want to protect our kids because there's substantial research and data that lets us know we should be concerned when these types of interventions are done prematurely. They yeah. can have long-term consequences. And so it's give kids time, 
just give kids times because we care about kids. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you use the term, uh, we hear the term transgender, and in the loosest sense, a transgender person is someone who who is born male or female and then uh, feels internally that they're their, their spirit, whatever you want to say, their, their, their self-image doesn't fit their body. Is that close? Yeah, that's close. That's close. Yeah. And I think that if we had some transgender individuals here with, you know, this morning, they mm-hmm. would agree with that statement. Mm-hmm. You know, they believe they are better suited in a different body. Gotcha. Now, the so the, and then you use the phrase gender dysphoria. So that's the technical term that the clinicians would use for this condition, right? That. That is true. That has been a clinical term that's been used for a long time. Long time. Not only on the issue of transgender, but any form of gender um, dysphoria. Maybe, you know, you're not necessarily transgender, but same-sex attractions. It Mm -hmm. it can be the gamut, but that is the medical terminology that's used. Gotcha. Gender dysphoria. Uh, So as as we – so she introduces this bill – and the 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 intent of the bill is to again uh, keep safe young uh, young people from procedures that aren't easily uh, reversible. Uh, the I got introduced to this topic by a, a book uh, by Abigail Shire called Irreversible Damage, and uh, and so this has kind of been on the on the national scene for a little while now. But are you familiar with uh, that book or the the concepts? Yes, Abigail Shire, Irreversible Damage. Uh, I actually had the chance to meet her, Stu, mm. uh, when I was even trying to get more educated on this topic because it was becoming really over the last five years, a lot has been said. It's kind of been in the hot spot. Mm. And I had a chance. I went to a journalism conference, and she uh, was one of the speakers, and she told her story, mm. how she ever even got invested in this. Mm. You know, like for you and I, we come from a ministry side, and mm-hmm. I know that faith-based can have different different approaches to this. That's not in her rubric at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> she just came from it. She started getting all of these calls from moms, you know, pleading, help tell our story, what's really happening here. Mm. And so she actually said no several times. Mm. And after so many inquiries, she began to ask her editor, can I maybe approach this story and begin to gather data? Mm-hmm. And I found her book extremely insightful, mm-hmm. uh, well-represented, well-documented, that just gives some of the facts that what is happening culturally on this issue, not only in America, but in multiple age, uh, uh, multiple nations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, I mean, just one of the things again. Since again, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Your, your ministry is faith based, or your work is faith based. <laughs> then people think, oh, this is one of those Christian things where Christians are just trying to control everybody else. And uh, but uh, Abigail uh, kind of breaks that mold pretty seriously because she's not. She doesn't present as a Christian, right? She's just a journalist. That is correct. That's yeah. real co- correct. And what she began to present, um, and her concern was that particularly minors, right? They need real treatment, real care. She's not denying gender dysphoria exists, but that treatment, not transition, mm. not to lead everything that just assumes you automatically have to go to gender-affirming care that's often referred to. But let's put a pause button. Let's see, like we do on menti issues. Mm -hmm. If you're seeking counseling, 
-hmm. they're going to what they'll call unpack. Let's see how we got here in the first place. Mm -hmm. And what she began to um, experience in that, that particularly um, that kids who had experienced the trauma of sexual abuse, Mm. they had a higher propensity. Mm. I'm not minimizing the struggle. That struggle, that concern is real. And that's why we've got to have a compassion a compassion stew. Yeah. We can't be yelling at one another. Yeah. But begin to go, are we asking the right questions clinically from a mental mm-hmm. health standpoint, but also from a medical standpoint as far as introducing drugs, uh, suggesting surgery at very young ages? Yeah, yeah. There was uh, one of the things you mentioned in the book that I, I don't know, again, if she's the only one who studied this, but there was... Uh, there seems to be kind of a rash of 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 uh, transitioning uh, way beyond statistical norms. Uh, for example, she looked in the UK, and then especially among young girls, that they were uh, that it, not that it wasn't happening some with boys, but it, but but a vast majority were happening with girls and kind of kind of clusters of girls who knew each other. Uh, is there any more research that's kind of bolstered that? Yes, there actually is. And in just a seven-year period, there was a 2,000% increase in children seeking treatment for sexual identity confusion in the United Kingdom. So much so wow. they've put a pause mm. right on this in minors. But I think what was also very revealing when you're talking about girls Mm -hmm. that one study showed that when a teen announces a transgender identity to their peer group so Mm -hmm. some girls to girls Mm -hmm. the number of friends who also become transgender identified was 3.5 per group so in other Mm -hmm. those decisions right as Mm -hmm. teenage girls were influencing others now i have just a very simple i don't i this is a very complex issue but my simple thought on that is you know Stu, i was a teenage girl (laughs) guess what you were a teenage boy and you know those are really tough years Mm -hmm. and it's easy to be influenced and there's a longing to want to fit in you are uncomfortable with your body you're trying to figure out what's happening And this is heartbreaking to me mm-hmm. because I think you or I in that situation culturally right now, mm-hmm. we could be one of those individuals. And mm-hmm. so I really ask that we have compassion, but put the pause button mm-hmm. on to mm-hmm. say, what's going on? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. And of course, I've heard um, the pleas, the cries. I was at the hearing of what now is identified as detransitioners or mm. D-sisters. Yeah. And hearing them saying, those drugs, now I'm in my 30s and realize they made me unfertile. Mm. Let's let's pick up that thought here. We're going to take our first break. We're just getting started. I want to, uh, again, we want to, we always do this on Friendly Fire. We want to approach this with kindness and compassion and care. But a part of the kindness in this case is is to say, let's not do things that can't be reversed. Uh, the, the, and hence the title of the book, Irreversible Damage. Um, and let's, uh, and so that's, uh, uh, that's what drives my heart. And I think it's a good part of what drives uh, a lot of us is to make sure that we're first, first and foremost, do no harm. Um, uh, you're listening to Friendly Fire. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday here on 1499.3 KLIN. Keeping the topics lively. 
The conversation civil. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the Voice of Lincoln, fourteen hundred and ninety nine three KLIN. We are back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday, talking with Karen Bowling here from the Nebraska Family Alliance, and um, I want to go. We're talking about uh, LB five seventy four and uh, the whole issue of of how uh, transitioning uh, for transgender individuals who are minors. Uh, ought to be paused, and uh, that we that we don't want to do damage. And so this was the bill. Was what's the name of the bill again? It is called Let Them Grow LB five seven four, introduced by Senator Koff from uh, Omaha area, Millard, Nebraska. Gotcha. Now give us just a quick reminder of when a when a bill starts working its way through the through the unicameral. Uh, just kind of remind us. Give us a little civics one hundred and one. Okay, here what, we go. What happens to that bill? <laughs> so in Nebraska. Every bill introduced gets a public hearing because we are not a two-body system. We're a unicameral. So actually, the people are considered the second house. So every bill, so this year pushing almost, not quite, but 900 bills, every bill gets a hearing. In fact, today is the last day of public hearings. Mm. So LB 574 had its public hearing. Mm -hmm. The senator brings it before, which in this case was the Health, Human, and Services Committee, it's heard. She introduces it. Then proponents get to testify in favor of, followed by opponents who testify against it, and then finally neutral capacity. Mm. After that, they do what's called exec, and the exec committee then determines what we're going to do with that. And that doesn't happen immediately. That's usually a week, two weeks later. In this case, HHS voted it out of committee. Once it goes out of committee, and Senator Kouth put a priority on it, it has a better chance of going to the full floor for debate. Mm. There are three rounds of debate. First is general file, select file, then final read, and then it goes to the governor's desk to sign. And at that point, a governor can choose to veto it. Gotcha. That's how the process works. Yes. Now, there were uh, one of the uh, questions, oh, I want to get to what happens in that in that, those committee hearings in just a minute. But one of the last things that was in the news quite a bit was, uh, and we hear about this on the federal level and the local level, this idea of cloture. Yes. And that's not a word that you and I typically <laughs> use. And I don't, I, we, you know, even in the meetings that I hold, we don't really usually use that word. The what's, word cloture. Yeah, yeah, what's cloture? Yeah, it's a great question. And in 574, actually this week, was debated in general file, first mm -hmm. round of debate, when a bill is being filibustered. Okay, mm -hmm. what is required here in Nebraska, then you have to, in that first round, have eight hours of debate. Mm. So at the end of that eight hours, you've demonstrated, we've talked about this, we want to actually have a vote on the bill. But before that, you've got to call for a cloture vote. For it to continue on and the bill to be voted on, you have to have 33 yes votes. That is a high percentage when you only have 49 state senators. Mm -hmm. So on Thursday, they reached that. There were 33 yes votes. So then it required it then to actually vote on the bill, which then advanced. So now it will move on to the second round of debate, which is six select file, which will probably be filibustered again, instead of eight hours, we'll have four hours of debate. Mm. 
Okay, and then the filibuster, and then on the final vote, can it be filibustered again? And on the again? final read, mm -hmm. it can be filibustered to up to two hours. Now, something that's unique about final read is no amendments can be added to it. Mm -hmm. First and second round, they can. Mm -hmm. But on final read, it can be filibustered for two hours. Mm -hmm. So in essence, there are many bills, when you yeah. think about that, eight, four, and two. Let's see, do quick math. There's 14 hours of debate. Yeah to get through to go to the governor's desk. And mm -hmm. that's not the final, right? Mm -hmm. Because there could be a veto to a bill okay. also. And in, any, and in the eight and four and two hour debates, the, each of those can be filibustered? Yes. And so you still have to get up to that high. Right. And that's the additional hours. The eight and four and two are what are required currently for the filibuster. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So, okay, now all the way back then, so she come, uh, the senator comes up with this idea that goes to the committee, and then, they, then there are these hearings. How long ago were those? A few weeks ago? Those, right. They were about a month ago. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. About a and, month ago. And you were there. I was there, yeah. yes. Give us, give us uh, we'll get started here, and then we'll take it into the next segment here, what that, uh, what that hearing was like. Well, there were several hundred people that came to testify, and so what they did to try and make it fair they allowed the introducer always gets to go first. So proponents had three hours of proponent testimony, then three hours of opponent testimony, and mm -hmm. then followed by neutral capacity. So we are proponents. We believe that in the best interest of our children, when we're talking about minors, we need to put the pause button on. Mm -hmm. And so in doing so, I will just tell you, um, some of the stories, mm. real life stories, real life, real time of those that are now you'll hear D transitioners mm. or D sisters. D transitioners are, are individuals that have had all of the hormone therapy and surgical treatment. Mm. D sisters, maybe they have, they have not had that process. But with that, to hear people from Nebraska to hear the story of Luca, who at 13 is a 13-year-old teenage girl, is what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. She begins to be confused about her identity. And like good parents, you know, we seek additional help. And in that help, she said, I'm suicidal. And that's one of the things that we're seeing that in the name of gender affirming, then it's just like, well, do you want a dead daughter or a live son? Mm. That's what's being presented to parents. Mm -hmm, that's a mm -hmm. that's tough, Stu. Yeah, that's tough. So ultimately, Luca and her parents decided to move forward in this. So she started first with the puberty blockers, then transitioned to sex, uh, cross sex hormones, and at the age of sixteen, mm. here in Nebraska. She had a double mastectomy. Mm. Now, Luca is in her mid-20s, and she regrets. I mean, regret is real. Mm -hmm. And as she shared, mm. I most likely will be sterile and never be able to give birth to children. Mm. And if for some reason I beat those odds, I will never know what it's like to breastfeed my babies. Mm. Mm. Regardless of what side you are on, mm. 
-hmm. That's a pause because you could hear her heart. Yeah. And actually there were either seven or eight um, people there testifying who had gone through transition, who are living to regret it, mm. including people that still identify they still identify as lesbian or still identify as homosexual or transgender, but they recognize because of what they went through and all of the bodily harm and mm. what it's done to their lives, they mm. feel that we need to not intervene with a minor. Yeah. Give them a chance to grow. If that still continues as an adult, they certainly can make that decision. But the state, it's incumbent upon the state. We protect young people all the time, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's, that's the heart of this legislation. The heart is not to say you don't exist, we don't care about you, that if we feel differently, we hate you. That's not true, Stu. Yeah, that's not, not true. true. It is not true. Yeah, yeah. One of the things, we're going to take another break here in just a minute, but uh, one of the things that is... Uh, Again, just to be super clear about this, even Abigail uh, Schreier in her book uh, said, you know, I'm she she was addressing her book mostly to the issue of minors. Mm -hmm. That that again, these are changes that can't be. Hence the title of the book, irreversible damage. And she she was the first one in her book to say, if you're of of age and you want to do this, that's up to you. You're an adult and you can make adult decisions and and, and live with the consequences. But Again, we we don't let children vote. We don't let them, you know, uh, be in the service. We don't let them do a, drink beer, consume alcohol, yeah. consume tobacco, yeah. do drugs. But but we would say you're of a mature enough mind to to what the net effect is to 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 change your body in an irreversible way. Agreed. And I think consent is really important. And there's a lot of things that we require parental consent, as well mm -hmm. as minors knowing they can't, their globes, you know, their brains are not fully developed until they're 24. Mm. And so we should be asking questions differently. Mm -hmm. If I send my child to school for them to take an aspirin, yeah. if they have a headache, I've got to I've got to give permission for that, right? Yeah. And and a kid, you know, has to make sure somebody's overseeing that. We're making permanent altering conditions on their precious bodies and giving consent to that. A minor can't possibly understand what that looks like. When I'm 14, yeah. My thought process, it's yeah. not condescending whatsoever. It looks a lot different at 24. I can tell you it looks a lot different at 34. And where I stand now, mm -hmm. much different, yeah. right? Because you just have a broader perspective. Yeah. You've lived life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll take another break. When we come back here, uh, we're going to, again, uh, follow through with how this process worked out. A lot of people, a lot of, a lot of sad stories on both sides of, of how this is a real issue and and we're we're not denying it. We don't want to, we don't want to sweep it under the rug. We just want to deal with it in a in a actually a, a reasonable and loving way. It's a friendly fire Saturday here, talking with Karen Bowling, and uh, glad to have you along on the fourteen hundred ninety nine three KLIN. <laughs> 
interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns, 1499.3 KLIN. We are back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday talking with Karen Bowling today, and we're talking about uh, LD-574, and this is about uh, whether or not uh, minors should receive uh, uh, life-altering uh, medical intervention for uh, gender dysphoria, transgenderism, and uh, and again, I can't. We can't say this enough that you know I'm a pastor. You do faith-based work. You're a leader in a local church. We, you know, everybody is made in God's image. Everybody is precious. This is if there's any whiff of somehow uh, certain people being less than, it isn't. It isn't coming uh, from uh, from us. And we and we want to we want to absolutely say in the most emphatic way possible that uh, we love every person. Uh, every human person is made in the image of God and has incalculable worth. Um, but this bill again has come under a lot of fire. And uh, would was there anything else from the hearing that kind of just jumped out at you? There were people arguing in favor of this bill, others against it. Uh, anything else that that really grabbed your attention as you were listening to the? Uh, uh, discussion i in in fairness i think there's things that grabbed my attention whether you're a proponent or an opponent yeah right because let's remember we're talking about real lives here yeah and this impacts this impacts regardless of where you stand on the position this isn't republican democrat conservative progressive Mm -hmm. this is about real lives and so Part of the conversation, I think, is we need to learn to listen. We need to learn to listen. I believe there's an agreement statement that I would hope all of us could agree to is we care about kids Mm. and we care about minor kids. How best can we protect them? And there Mm. there has been an amendment that was offered to uh, only focus then on the actual surgery. Mm -hmm. And this week during debate... It was filibustered to not even be able to get to that amendment. Mm. I mean, there is goodwill to try and do what is best for kids. Mm-hmm. And we as parents, we as community members have an invested interest, but the state also does have an invested interest and yeah. make lots of policies um, that help protect young people. Yeah. there. We, we talked uh, before we even began the conversation, we talked about how words are really important and one of the things I've noticed is that, uh, again, it's disproportionately this issue is affecting young girls. And then you mentioned one who gave testimony about a double mastectomy. There, okay, that language is usually not used. That what I've heard mostly is is uh, top surgery. Right. And so when I when you hear top surgery, it's like, well, what is that? You know, what right. does that do? But we're we're talking about, in in effect, mutilating healthy organs. Um, we are talking about genitalia mutilation. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's um that's sometimes quite uncomfortable to talk about. Yeah. But those are the conversations we need to talk about because that's what it is. In fact, um earlier uh, kind of in a tweet fest that happened mm. and you, we're never going to bring resolution through Twitter. May I please say that? <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, yes. Yes. these kind of conversations that mm. you and I are having yeah. is where, you know, we can, I think, gain progress. But a senator tweeted out, that's never, that's not happening in Nebraska. It's mm. not taking place at any of our medical center centers. Mm-hmm. And um, Luca 
tweeted back. And she lifted up her top sweater. Mm. And you saw all across her chest, mm -hmm. probably 18 to 24 inches of the mm. surgery lines and staples mm. with no breast. Mm. All with the claim that this doesn't happen in Nebraska. Right. Which yeah. she is from Bennington, Nebraska, mm. and had her surgery here in Nebraska. Mm. So we need to be clear. It is happening here. What is our role? How do we protect our kids? And I, I want to go back to Stu. Why should it matter? You know, mm -hmm. what, 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 what are we thinking? And mm -hmm. I'll just tell you for myself personally, but also from an organizational standpoint, who does engage in public policy, try to be winsome in that. But we do sometimes take difficult stands is that we're just asking, put a pause, real, real care for, for minors and that treatment, not transition. Just because someone says gender affirming, we don't go there right away. Mm -hmm. Then secondly, consent. It's tough for minors to consent to this. You know, they're, they're, they're vortex, they're globes. They're, <laughs> they're, they're not fully developed yet. Yeah. Even if they consent, they may not appreciate what all they're consenting to. Mm -hmm. And then finally, having a a robust conversation about the harm. And that leads us back to Abigail Schreier. She mm -hmm. was kind of the first person that put it on the, on the map. And mm -hmm. what's sad in a viral age, right, in social platforms, actually distributors started banning her book. Yes, It's hard to get. I, regardless of where you're at, when we start shadow banning or are we only telling one side of the story that harms us all? Yeah. And of course, we're going to approach this. You know, our faith uh, directs us. It needs to be compassionate. But part of when you look at from a scriptural context, the role of government, mm. right, is to help with for the good of the people, for the good of your neighbor. There's a lot of different things that I could be doing, Stu, yes. instead of always ending up kind of in these conversations that are really tough. But that's yeah. new. That's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. I mean, Old Testament times, there's all kinds of accounts of stuff that was happening in their society. Mm -hmm. And people stepped up in that moment, right, mm -hmm. to be a voice. Mm -hmm. Now, I think we have to own sometimes our voice hasn't always been winsome. Yeah. But that's our heart intent. It, our heart, H E A R T, intent. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh, oh boy. There, I mean, we, and, and we're willing to own that, that we haven't always been as winsome <laughs> and as kind and as, and as uh, loving as is appropriate. But silence isn't, in this case, isn't loving either. That's, that's exactly, you know, what I would agree with 100%. And one of the things, that stuck out to me at the hearing, too, was Dr. Bowens. Um, she has 25 years of trauma-informed counseling pediatrics, mm. right? And then now so she is also on the research side. And she began to do more research as she saw the growing trend of gender clinics. Gender clinics in the last 10 years have just gone over the chart 
Mm. We now have over 100 gender clinics here in the United States. Wow. 20 years ago, there were zero. Mm. So what's causing this? And she just, from a mental health practitioner, started to ask the questions. We don't do this with other conditions, right? Mm. And if someone says to us, I'm suicidal, we don't just say, okay, then you must move forward. We like to have a discussion, see if there have been any harms, anything that has happened that has maybe been um, kind of the launching pad to make you question who yeah. you are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Going to take one last break, then when we come back, um, oftentimes, again, uh, and again, I don't mind arguing things from a faith base, no problem. But in this case, there is so much that has nothing to do with our faith. It just has to do with science. It has to do with the statistics. It has to do with actually even things that are happening around the world right now yes. uh, that, we're, uh, that, we're not, that we're out of step with. And uh, so I want to get into that a little bit, too, here. It's Friendly Fire Saturday, talking with Karen Bowling of Nebraska Family Alliance. Glad to have you along on 1499.3 KLIN. Bringing you local voices to break down the news of the week. Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Rolling right along on a Friendly Fire Saturday. And uh, talking to Karen Bowling here. And uh, before we get back to the topic du jour, uh, it's time for a shameless plug. So, Karen, what would you like to plug today? Well, in light of our conversation, <laughs> uh, I want to point people to our website, NebraskaFamilyAlliance.org. And we have a resource there. It's the Gender Resource Guide. And it is particularly about, built for parents. Mm. How to have those conversations but it is full of research data to help you understand what is before us as a culture. It's the Gender yeah. Resource Guide at NebraskaFamilyAlliance.org. One more shameless plug. Mm -hmm. We believe you should be praying for our senators. Mm. So you can't complain about senators in our world unless you pray for senators. And yeah. you pray for every senator, regardless yeah. of where they are. And we have a program, and right now we have almost 900 people mm. who've adopted a state senator to pray mm. for them. We put together a free resource packet. It costs you nothing. It's 30-second prayers for senators. Mm. Everybody's got 30 seconds a day, mm. as well as we will send you your actual senator on a magnet. Oh, wow. And you can find that at our website, NebraskaFamilyAlliance.org. Go to the prayer tab and just do Adopt a Leader in Prayer, and we will send you a free resource yeah. Adopt a Leader packet. There you go. And, in, and again, I've known Karen for a long time, and if you... If you know anything about Karen, you know that when she talks about prayer ministry, that is that's not just words. She's been a committed prayer warrior for decades, and uh, so this is that's a that's a neat idea. Um, in the minutes that we have left, uh, one of the other things that sometimes you feel like, well, hey, I'm in Nebraska, I'm in the middle of nowhere, and I'm, and uh, America's, uh, you know, seems to be all on board with this, and yet a lot of the trends that come to us in America originated in in Europe. And uh, and now, over the last several years, uh, there's been some – the pause button has been pushed a lot. Uh, in Sweden, in particular, where I believe held uh, did the first uh, uh, surgery, right? That's uh, re correct. Reassignment right, surgery right. back in the 70s. And then in the U.K., what, what, is, what seems to be happening, especially in Europe? So in Europe, those that probably led the charge here, they've put a pause button. And now what you're starting to see is lawsuits, mm. right, from individuals 
who had transgender surgery, you know, they're now in their 30s, they're realizing I'm sterile, I, you know, I, I, I identify with the biology that I was given at birth, that mm. was God-given, we would say, mm -hmm. and they're starting to win lawsuits on mm. that. There is another really interesting study <clears throat> that brings us back here to the United States, but obviously, you know, we're, we're not California, mm -hmm. you know, we're not New York, mm -hmm. but UCLA, Williams Institute, and their LGBTQIA plus advocacy group did some research on this to do gender affirming practice and research account for the high rates of early childhood trauma. What was really interesting is 45% of transgender identifying people reported childhood sexual abuse. Wow. 44% reported childhood physical abuse. Mm. And 75% of transgender identifying people reported childhood emotional abuse. Mm. And this is from the UCAL Williams Institute. So what that informs me, it's real, but are we giving the most compassionate care? Mm. Are, are we having conversations about sexual abuse? Are we having conversations from professional mental health about physical abuse, sexual abuse? Mm. That should matter to us mm -hmm. in how we love our kids well. Yeah. And it's just putting a pause button on. That's like I said yeah. before, Stu. It's it's mm -hmm. not denying that it exists, nor is it denying the right for you to move forward as a, as an adult. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. This uh, the the Sweden situation especially intrigues me. I was looking at some stuff online, and and they came up with some new guidelines now that they're they're pushing this pause button and saying, hey, wait, wait. And and some of these things just seem like common sense. But one of the one of the one of the bullet points was. The, the psychological and psychiatric care would be the first line of treatment for gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm, now, mm -hmm. I would have thought it always would have been the first line of treatment. And that's what's so unique about this issue. I mean, yeah. when Dr. Bowers testified at the hearing, mm -hmm. that's one of the things she tried to communicate really clearly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As a mental health professional who's had 20 years of trauma-informed counseling of minors, that's where we go on everything mm. why is this one different mm. and and i mean and again who knows uh there may be a, a, a many many reasons why it's it's trans it's transpired this way but uh, but do you, have you identified anything that seems to be really really pushing this well as i've had conversations with colleagues all over america mm -hmm. there's one consistent thing is that pharma Medicine has a big role in this. Mm. And when I started to ask where this first law was passed, I started to ask that state senator, what are you discovering? And she said, one of the things that we're learning for a transition and then to be able, remember, it's not only after you transition, but you have to keep taking those drugs. The rest of your life, right? That's about a sixty to $65,000 annual expenditure wow annual annual <laughs> so over the course of a normal lifetime hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars 
millions of dollars? Yes, yes. Wow. Yes. Now, we're too early in this, to just like we're too early to know what are going to be the harms, you know, mm -hmm. the medical harms from these drugs long term. Mm -hmm. But that put the that puts a pause button on me, too. I mm -hmm. wouldn't have even thought through that lens. Mm -hmm. There are people here that have the opportunity to gain financially. Mm. Wow. Because you're putting people on drugs for the rest of their life. Mm. Wow. There, um, we've just got a couple minutes left. I know that there, there are heartbreaking stories of people of gender dysphoria, and it's just, again, it's gut-wrenching to see the, some, of the, some of the things that people go through. Um, and yet, um, what, uh, you know, when, so you're, and you're dealing with these people on a regular basis. What are, what are some of the things you want to make sure they hear from you uh, as, they, as they wrestle? Got about a minute left. You are loved. Mm. You are loved. You are loved by people that have a different viewpoint, mm. but you are loved. And more importantly, uh, we want to make sure you are informed. Mm. You informed. Ultimately, we believe you can make that decision as an adult, but want you to know that you are loved. You're not mm. hated. And I realize disagreement. Sometimes we have to agree to disagree. Mm. But we see you, you are a person, you matter to our community, mm. we wish you no harm, and we want what's best. We want what's best for you. Yeah. Yeah. And we're grateful that you're here, and we want you to still be here. Mm. That, that is a perfect last word. Thank you so much for taking time to be here, Karen. I appreciate it. Thank you, Stu. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. I leave you saying, as I always do, to think about it and talk about it. We'll see you next week.